You're listening to another episode of the Just Go Bike Podcast. That's AKA Murph. And that's AP, Andrea Parrott, Parrot Talk. And this is the podcast where we talk about cycling just for the fun of it with tales from all across the nation. Come for the bikes, stay for the fun, and leave with a smile. Hey, Just Go Bikers. Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. It's, as a lover of food, it is one of my very favorite holidays. Yes. Just last night, it was very, very cold here in Iowa, and I was wearing what I thought was a fleece turkey onesie, and (laughs) then I realized it's actually a chicken onesie because it's black. (laughs) It's black and not brown, but it still has, you know, when you put the hood up, it looks like a turkey. I don't know. Was that probably too much information for our listeners that I was wearing a onesie? (laughs) (laughs) Hey, those turkey, those onesies are nice and warm and perfect apparel for an outdoor occasion. Yes, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, here we are. We've made it uh, to the almost the end of 2021. Can you believe it? No, hardly. How are you going to celebrate AP? Well, I'm assuming that I'm in mid Thanksgiving mode, hardcore Thanksgiving mode. My family wakes up at the crack of dawn every Thanksgiving because we're psychotic and we do (laughs) a turkey trot fun run, but it's not just a regular like 5k. It's a cross country run through like a forest. Oh geez. (laughs) And it's always muddy and we're like jumping over logs and things and whoever wins their age category gets a pumpkin pie. So like not me, but like some of my family members win pies. And um, anyway, it's, it's always a, good time once you're out there mm. but <laughs> it's a tough sell to get up out of bed right um, but this year is the first year where I'm going to get to bring my dog Bart my golden retriever along with me on the run so oh, yeah I think I'm looking forward to it awesome so, so how are you going to celebrate Murph well mine is very similar I uh, always do the turkey trot here in Cedar Rapids which is a 5k and it has grown tremendously over the years and there are thousands of people who do the same thing so yeah I'm pretty excited about it um I was going to wear my turkey onesie but now that I know it's (laughs) it's really a chicken I won't which I'm bummed about and then there is a there's like one um like a local brewery that we run by as part of the 5k that hosts a cousin Eddie party every year. So as you run by this brewery, there's like, you know, 30 men and women dressed just like cousin Eddie from the movie. So they're in like their (laughs) robe and the funny hat. And some of them will have like a long tube that looks like it's from the RV and they'll just be (laughs) cheering us on. And it's just one of my favorite memories of when you're running it. Cause I'm kind of like you where I'm like, it's so early and it's cold. And then once you're out there, God, it's so fun. In this particular 5K, you are guaranteed a Donut Land donut at the finish. Line. So Ugh. regardless of uh, how fast I am, I am looking forward to that donut before I eat myself silly the rest of the day. And I mean, Cedar Rapids, Iowa City people know Donut Land donuts are good. Oh, yeah. They yeah. are very good. Yes, yes, They're, yes. Yeah. You know, and I think that this marks. Thanksgiving is the only day out of the whole year in which both of us are doing not cycling sports. Yeah, you're right. (laughs) This is an anomaly. Yeah, you're right. But of course, if it's snowing, I will most likely have that fat bike outside. Okay, yeah. So other sports and more. (laughs) Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So I guess while we're on the topic of Thanksgiving, anything that you want to tell the listeners that you are thankful for? Well... Any number of things. I mean, besides like all the regular like world peace and, you know, yes, being COVID free and all of the stuff that we all have deep feelings for. That's right. Just assume that all those are still there. I was going to say pie, but Mm. I think I'm going to change my answer to my family's Thanksgiving Euchre tournament that we always play. It's extremely competitive and the winner, the losers have to make the trophy. So it's always like. (laughs) An old vase covered in walnuts are like something silly. But last year, my cousin Betsy and I won, but it was virtual. So this year, I'm looking forward to coming back and taking what's mine. Oh, yeah. So I'm pretty thankful for a Euchre win. So uh, what are you? Tell me what you're thankful for. Well, same as you, besides all the, you know, the worldly things. World peace. World peace. Blah, blah, blah. Yes. Yeah. 
I'm going to say that I'm really thankful for sliced bread. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, AP, seriously, there would be no toast (laughs) if bread did not come sliced. I would literally die. Yeah. I mean, if you just, if, if we hadn't invented sliced bread and we just had to like rip off a piece of bread to eat, there would be no toast. (laughs) I mean. Like cavemen and women. Yeah. (laughs) And breakfast is my favorite meal. I will eat breakfast all three meals if I could. So toast (laughs) is very important to me. And let me tell you, there's a fun fact (laughs) I'm going to give you. Okay. Otto Frederick Roeder invented the first bread slicing machine. And guess where he's from? And where? Davenport, Iowa. Oh, no way. That's amazing. I know. So thanks, Otto, for inventing the first bread slicing machine. And on a side note, Betty White, who at the time of this recording is still with us alive, she's literally older than sliced bread. Oh, my God. What a classic. (laughs) I love Betty White more than almost any other celebrity. Yeah. But do I love her or sliced bread more? Don't ask. (laughs) Oh, I don't know if I could answer that, especially like I don't want it to be recorded because yeah. pro- I would probably change my answer yeah. <laughs> depending on yeah. the day. That's incredible. Well, thank you for those fun facts. Those enriched my day. Yeah. But how uh, about you can okay. use those on your sibling later? <laughs> how about uh, bike related thankfulness? I'm, we should probably say something about bikes. Well, okay. So for I mean, I love that we have bikes. I love that we have the opportunity to ride together as a group and with our family and our friends. But I would say truly, if I was truly answering my thing I'm most thankful for bike related is chamois butter. Oh, okay. Similar. (laughs) Because (laughs) look, if you've you've ever ridden without, you don't want to ride without again. I mean, it's a a very important structural part of my cycling day. (laughs) Yes. And um, saddle sores are nothing to laugh about. That's and right. I they believe, stick with you. Yeah, you yeah, literally they do. <laughs> and you can uh back when we were doing the Ragbri one oh one series on this podcast, Just Go Bike, I did a whole episode on saddle sores because we had so many people call in to say, What do I do? So there we yeah. go. Shammy butter. Yep. Yep. Okay, so what are you thankful for bike related? Well I We'll start out the same way you do. I'm so glad, you know, that bikes exist, yada, yada, yada. But I'm most thankful that bikes continue to evolve. You know what Mm -hmm. I mean? Like, Mm -hmm. if we still only had the high wheeler bikes with, you know, like steel (laughs) wheels that, you know, no rubber on them, like, oh my gosh. I, yeah. Or if it was back in the days when women weren't allowed to bike, like, oh my gosh. So I'm thankful that all of that's evolved. But then specifically, you know, disc brakes, having e-bikes, having tubeless tires, all of that stuff like gives opportunities to people like me, just your average recreational riders, the rights or the the good feeling to be able to ride to new places, like to ride on gravel or like I rode across the San Juan Mountains. Oh my gosh, mm. I never would have done that if I would have been on the same bike I had when I was 18. Yeah, which is funny because my bike is the same bike I had when I was 18. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> yeah. Oh, my uh, God, that's hilarious. But I'm, I'm also uh, thankful for the you know, the updates. I mean, even though I don't have a new bike, but I do take use of, like, yeah. community bikes where you can, like, bike shares and things like that that yeah. would have never existed back then. So I do still take yeah. advantage in my own way. <laughs> Yeah, and I and I neither one of us own e-bikes, but we were we did have a pretty fun weekend where we got to go ride them back in Reno, remember? Yes, yes, out in the the desert. We got to ride e-bikes and oh, uh an e-bike is definitely on my wish list. Yeah, mine too. Mine too. Yeah. So anyway, listeners, we're basically just here to say happy Thanksgiving and um you know, some friendly reminders if you're listening to this around Thanksgiving time 2021. Uh, Ragbear registration is open. Yeah, right? registration Get registered. is open. Yes, and um, as far as we know, knock on wood, everything is going pretty smoothly. But if you have any issues, please don't hesitate to reach out. Um, you can send us a um, private message on our the Ragbear Facebook page, or you're always welcome to email us at info at ragbear.com, info, mm-hmm. and yours truly will answer your message or one of my coworkers, <laughs> but we're, we'll help you out. The other thing that I would say is, you know, we haven't released the route yet. So if you're interested in seeing it live um, yeah. with the route announcement party, registration for that is open as well. And that benefits yeah. the Iowa Bicycle Coalition. 
Yes. And speaking of the Bike Coalition, Saturday after the route party is the Iowa Bike Expo, which is a free event that you should make sure is on your calendar so that you can attend. Yeah. So those are the route announcement party is on Friday, uh, January 28th. And then the expo is on the 29th. So make a little weekend out of it. Come and see us. Um, and we're really excited for that. Um, the other thing that I would say is a different expo, the Ragbri Expo, while we can't tell you where it is, mm. if you've, you're interested in being a vendor, their registration for that is also open. Mm. And you can just go to ragbri.com and you can find the information there. Cool. So cool. two expos to think yeah. about. But um, cool. so, yeah, a lot of stuff going on. And I'm sure we'll keep you posted as the weeks go on. We get closer to these events. Awesome. But yeah. we have a really cool interview for you guys today. Uh, Murph, uh, you want to spill the beans? Who are we hearing from today? Yeah. So speaking of bikes evolving, um, we are going to listen to an interview that I did back in August, right after Ragbri, with Denise Mueller. And I know that Mm. you know her really well. I have met her and got to hang out with her and kind of ride bikes. She's much, much faster than me. But she (laughs) is a world record holder. Um, It is an amazing interview just to hear her experience and how fast she went on this specially made bike. And Mm -hmm. you, Andrea, have even seen this bike, right? Yes. Um, And, you know, the thing about this type of riding she does, it's unlike any other type of cycling. I mean, the only goal is to go extremely fast. Yeah. And so she goes out to the desert and she gets on this bike behind a pace car. And, well, she'll tell you all about it. I don't want to, you know, give away too much. But it's unlike, I mean, anything else you've ever done. And we've seen her, her outfit she wears. It's not spandex. Right. Like a full leather bodysuit because if you crash your bike going I don't know 180 miles an hour or whatever the heck yeah yeah <laughs> uh, you got to be protected from that so imagine doing that kind of physical effort in leather <laughs> wow it's, it's just intense it's amazing and she's going to tell us you know all about it but it's yeah. interesting that this bike that she has you can't even pedal it until you get to a certain speed so like the dynamics involved like she has to be tethered to this car and this car goes super yeah. fast and then she untethers herself and then she has to pedal her heart out and anyway we don't want to spoil anything else should we get to it and uh, take a listen to Denise Mueller yeah I can't wait hurry okay. up <laughs> All right, well, on the show today, this is exciting. We have the fastest cyclist on earth, Denise Mueller. Yay, thank you. (laughs) How are you doing, Denise? I'm doing great. Recovering from uh, Ragbri and, uh, you know, doing a lot of drafting out there, but I am doing awesome. Awesome, yeah. And uh, that segues into what I was going to say is that we had the chance to meet uh, hanging out with the Primal Wear folks on Ragbri. And I was going to ask you, was that the first time that you've done Ragbri? Yes, I was a Ragbri virgin. Ooh, nice. (laughs) But I am no longer. (laughs) Yeah. And uh, I was lucky I got to see you several days, you know, in your draft line, zooming right by me on bikes. And I would like, I I don't know if you even remember this, but I would be like, go, Denise, go. I would yell at you. And then I'd be like, oh, shoot, I probably shouldn't have done that because she's going to look over to see who it is and then possibly crash. And I'm like, wait a minute, this woman has gone 183.9 miles an hour. She's fine. <laughs> yep. <laughs> oh, yes. It, it, I loved the cheering and I, I loved all the camaraderie at Ragbri. And oh my gosh, that was, I, I, I have to say it, it's like one of the funnest experiences I've had. Really? It, well, <laughs> on a bicycle ever besides, of course, you know, doing my land speed record, which is like pinnacle. But yeah, this was so much fun. I, I liken it to because everybody does it in their own different way. Right. Um, I'm sure you have children, you have o- older people, you have everyone in between, you have fast people, you have people that don't ride a lot. Um, 
everybody doing it for their own reason, but our little group was such a blast to be around. And I swear it felt like a, a, a college spring break for a week, just, um, <laughs> you know, but on a bicycle. So yeah. Yeah. I think that's the best way to summarize it from my experience. <laughs> yeah. And it's a whole different experience for people who literally ride their bikes for exercise. This is like a party on bikes all week long. And, you know, yes. like you said, it's, Everybody does it their own way. And I don't mean everyone's like getting drunk all day, but it's definitely right. like a festival all day long. Mm -hmm. It's crazy. Yep. And I loved it when we went into the different cities in the evenings and it was literally like their 4th of July yeah. for that particular city with some, I, I, I think 25,000 people. Or, I, I don't even know the numbers yeah. of how many, but I've been, I've heard all sorts of different ones. But I mean, for that city, it was basically they honored all the cyclists coming in because it was a huge influx mm -hmm. and an opportunity. Yes. Like you said, a festival every night in each of the new cities and they each had their own little flavor. So it was, uh, I mean, it was, it was wonderful. It was heartwarming. It was um, a definitely good exercise yeah. and wow. Yeah. <laughs> Made yeah. tons of new friends too. Awesome. And I'm just, it's so cool that you were actually able to come and be part of RAGBRAI. So thanks for coming to Iowa. Oh, well, my goodness gracious. It was actually Primal who made everything happen. Yeah. So um, they're, they're basically, I'm, I think I'm, I'm, I'm part of the family there because <laughs> most certainly I, I have, I've been embraced by them um, throughout the whole land speed record um, with Dave Edwards, the owner of Primal, and and um, believing in believing in me through everything, and then literally being there and embracing me as part of the family throughout the journey and beyond. So, of course, I want to talk about your world record, but before we get into that, you were a competitive cyclist for a long time as you were growing up into adulthood. Do you want to tell us a little <laughs> bit about that? Yeah, I, I started racing when I was 14 years old, oh, and the wow. irony was uh, I was getting ready to get into, I believe it was, no, I was already in junior high, I just started, now it's called middle school, <laughs> but it was in uh, January of 1987, um, I was still 13, I had turned 14 um, in February, um, but anyhow, um, they had over the announcements that there was a Bike for Breath for the Children's Asthma League down here in San Diego, because this is where I'm from, and they had all sorts of different distances, and my dad decided, you know what, let's do the 100 miler, and I'm like, oh what? <laughs> we had one month to train, and I would I was a, like cross country soccer and things. So I was athletic, but not on a bicycle. We trained for a month. It was miserable. I did not <laughs> like the training. I went to the event in February and loved it. Oh, we, really? we did the entire, it ended up being 96.5 miles because a radio station that had that same number was the sponsor. So that's how they had the mileage. Uh -huh. And I actually fundraised the most money and got a new bicycle. So I went from a mountain bike I was using for that 100 miles to a touring bike. And so uh, from there, I was riding the touring bike at all these different charitable events, oh, which wow. I loved. I mean, I, I went from not liking any of the training to all of a sudden I did the social thing. I, I, you know, I loved the big group and doing these charity rides. So we were doing them every weekend all over the state of California. We'd drive, stay the night somewhere and, and, and do rides. And so on one of these rides, well, during this also, I met one coach, which is Doreen Williams, and she got me onto the velodrome through a pro, uh, the, a program that helped juniors, mm. um, junior chill, uh, kids basically get on track bikes, be exposed to the bicycles, and it was the money left over from the 84 Olympics, mm. and so that what funded this, and so I was on the velodrome, and I was learning bicycle handling skills, and then I also <laughs> started doing other things with my father. He got me to do a San Diego, San Francisco to San Diego bicycle ride over two weeks oh, wow. with the, with a youth hostel. And on the last day is when I met my other coach, John Howard. And here comes a lot of this story. So <laughs> I meet him in August of 87. So I'm 14 years old. I've been doing a bunch of charity rides since February of that year and loving it. Been out on the velodrome, learning handling skills. I see him go by me on the last day of this event um, which is just going down the coast, and I hop on his wheel. 
I had no idea that two years prior he had set the land speed record oh my and had the bicycle land speed record. So the irony is here, I hop on his wheel and start drafting him <laughs> going south for about eight miles into about Camp Pendleton was where he finally turned around. And he's like, you know, he's thinking, who is this little girl on my wheel? <laughs> and so he asked my name and I was talking with him and he says, I need to talk to your dad. Cause it was just me on his wheel. And uh, so he later that week met with my dad and he said, you need to get this girl into racing and she needs a new bike. Cause I was still in that touring bike that I won in February. And so uh, my dad got me a bicycle, a nice uh, racing bicycle. And within one month, I had done my first race and I won it. And I mean, I was this new girl on the scene, all these other girls my age who have been racing against each other yeah. forever. And then all of a sudden, this nobody comes in and wins the race. Oh my so you could imagine I, I was, again, hooked at yet another level. Um, I ended up going from, that was in the September of 1987 was my first bicycle race and I raced all the way through 1991. Mm. Um, I found that my favorite racing was mountain bike racing because I got into that I think in about 89. Downhill mountain bike racing so it gives you a little idea a little crazy factor <laughs> and uh, and so uh, with that I got 15 national or excuse me 13 national championships in all sorts of disciplines whether on the velodrome the road or mountain biking um, and then I got a second place in the world championships in Italy wow. for downhill mountain bike racing. It was the first year they had junior world championships for mountain biking. So that's my, that's my in a nutshell from 87 yeah. through 91. Um, 91 is also the year I graduated high school. My parents were going through divorce in 90. And then there were some partnership issues in 92 with my parents' family business and Needless to say, I finished out my 1991 year of racing. Um, I was sort of deciding what I wanted to do when I grow up and yeah. uh, decided to enter the family business. But I also was having some challenges with my own psyche and dealing with all of the successes I had had as a cyclist. Mm -hmm. I would show up to the line and I would feel the pressure I'd put onto myself about having to perform because I had been doing so well. And now I was going to transition into the everyday, you know, female athlete, you know, and the, the adult athlete, because mm -hmm. I was in the junior athletic, junior category. And in 92, I would have been a, what they called senior, um, which had been like expert or whatever that, you know, your standard, every, everything between masters and, and juniors is right in the middle there. Mm -hmm. um, and so it was going to be a big challenge for me. And um, I knew there was a lot of performance anxieties that I was dealing with. So I actually walked away from the sport, literally hung the bike up in 1992 before I even did the race season and pretty much didn't touch it for 20 years. Wow. Wow. <laughs> and the John Howard that you met when you were 14, is that the same John Howard that was with you when you made your world record? Yep. Oh, and wow. It's, the the amazingness of all of this is yes so john howard did the world record or broke the land speed record in 1985 mm -hmm. he went 152 miles an hour and um so he was the one who got me on a, into racing um then i quit racing for 20 years raised three children ran the family business mm -hmm. you know did the career and family thing as a lot of people would say and then my middle son, because I've always been going to the gym and being healthy, my middle son, um, we decided, you know, I, I decided I was going to do my first full marathon ever mm -hmm. when, wow. you know, um, back in, my, in 2009, I made the, um, yeah, 2009, I made the decision and then 2010 was going to be the race. Well, he decided he was going to do that too. And he was 15 years old. And so he ran his first marathon with me. And the day before, I said, oh, mom, I want to do all the half marathons that rock and roll puts on okay. next year. So that would have been when he was 16 and it would have been 2011. Well, I can train my son for one marathon using, you know, your internet-based training schedule. Mm -hmm. I'm not going to be responsible for my 16-year-old son's, you know, joint health and, and training program 
at, um, you know, for 19 half marathons. So I reached out to John Howard, who I'd been in contact with, you know, several times over the course of the 20 years, but nothing athletically involved. Mm -hmm. And I said, Hey, John, how cool is it? When I was 16, you were my coach. And now my son's 16, I'd love for you to coach him so he doesn't get injured. And so he took up my son as an as a uh, client, and then looked at me and went, When's the last time you've been on a bike? (laughs) (laughs) So I think you can see where this is going. (laughs) He got me back on a bicycle. There was a charity ride coming up, and he suggested it. It was the right place for me. I'd been doing a bunch of running myself, and I went, why not? And so my coach gets me back on a bicycle after 20 years. And and then he saw, I guess, the talent that I did not even know I had, but he saw that spark that was still there, that crazy spirit of doing crazy adrenaline junkie things. And then he was the one who sat me down one day and we were at lunch and he says, I have an idea. And I'm like, what? And he says, sir, he goes, you like to draft. Yeah. You like to go fast. Yeah. (laughs) You like racing cars, which I, I race junker cars. And he goes, and I go, yeah. And I'm sitting there going, what are you getting at? What are you getting at? Because he's like drawing me to the edge of the cliff. And literally I said it was like a match to a puddle of gasoline that I was. And he says, you realize no woman has ever even attempted a land speed record, which meant I could be a first ever female to do something. And how many records are out there to where no woman has even attempted? So within a heartbeat, I went, oh my gosh, yes. (laughs) And so with that, um, he was the one who then also sparked that idea of doing the land speed record. And that's how it started was to be the first ever woman which took a four-year journey to do. Um, We obtained sponsorships. Um, KHS and Primal were always from the absolute beginning, have believed in me from before even, you know, the the thought was, you know, fully put together. Mm -hmm. Um, And so we worked our rears off. And in 2016, we went out to the Bonneville Salt Flats and I went 147.7 miles an hour and established the first ever women's record. Wow. And I have my Guinness World Book record. They what they did was they split the record. It used to just be fastest human in a or fastest bicycle in a slipstream. And that was Fred Rompelberg who had beat John's record in 1995 at 166.9. So Guinness separated at male and female. So Fred still kept his male record, and I then established the first ever women's female record. Oh, my gosh. And so that was technically what we went for. But, you know, things don't always quite finish the way we think they're going to. (laughs) (laughs) And this little competitive person called me... When we got out there, it's during an event called the World of Speed, and it's for cars and motorcycles, time trials for, for them to get their top speeds. And they're, they were gracious enough to accept me as an entry on the bicycle, even though it was very unusual for them. But they had all the permits. They had all the timing devices, which made it an official event mm-hmm. for me. So uh, it's a four-day event. And... The first couple days, since there's no way to really train for this in an actual motor pacing at that speed situation, you couldn't. I couldn't do it until we got out there. And so a few days before the event is the first time ever that I got pulled behind that vehicle, wow. released, and then drafted it. And I was able to do that at 100, 100 plus miles an hour. And I was like, oh my gosh. So everyone was so excited because I'd never even done it. It had all been all the elements of the training but nothing all put together because it's impossible to replicate it unless you're there. Mm -hmm. So first, uh, first day of the event was a lot of learning. I actually got shot out of the back of the, um, uh, slipstream a few times because my race car driver was accelerating faster than I could stay into the slipstream. So we were figuring out and there's this oscillation. So she would be surging forward when I was floating back and mm. popped me out. And so there was a lot of frustration of getting past certain barriers of speed. And so uh, we, we sat down, we powwowed. So the second day we had some vehicle issues that we needed to address and so no racing for us on the second day. Third day, First, first couple, our first time we go out there again, 
we have a separation where I'm out of the back of the slipstream and we're going, okay, so we stop and we go, let's figure this out. We've looked at each other's video. I shared with my race car driver. This is what I'm going through. She shared with me what she's going through. We powwowed. We said, let's just get out there and get a good solid um, run with no, no separation as far as you getting out of the, out of the air pocket mm -hmm. and just go for successful, not for record. So we went out there, we did 140 and we're like, Ooh, Hey, I think we got the hang of this. And I call it almost our magical dance. And so the next time we went out there, we did 147.7 and we weren't even trying to do that. Wow. And in fact, it was like a run. We went, should we do one more? Should we not? I said, ah, screw it. Let's do one more. Little did we know it rained overnight and they canceled the last day. And we knew we had unlocked the magic dance with each other to mm -hmm. where we weren't stepping we were in sync with each other instead of stepping on each other's left feet type of thing you know or dancing with two left feet as they say so we were so frustrated when we pulled up to the site the next morning and found out the last day was canceled so we lost our opportunity to do what we knew we could do which was at least 155. i mean we both felt it that we were going to beat 155 which was you know to break my coach's record it still wouldn't have been world mm -hmm. but it would have broken my coach's record and really been a good women's record so we walked away with a women's 147.7 and that day we said screw it we're coming back and we're going to not only go faster we're going to beat the men's record <laughs> and so we sort of put our put it out there without really thinking about what we just said <laughs> but it took us two more years Two to years. To get back wow. out on the two years because we had to now get another vehicle because the sponsors we had, we didn't even ask them, hey, are you on for another go around? Right, right. And some of them were, no, we're, we're, this is all. And like our, our, we had a Range Rover in the first one, which is a beautiful vehicle that could have gone 175. We could have done the record behind the Range Rover, but we didn't have enough practice and time to have perfected our ability. But the Range Rover had to basically go back to England. Mm. <laughs> it could not stay in this country for the two years. And so we ended up using Fred Rompelberg, who is the current record holder, the current men's record holder's vehicle. And we had to re completely overhaul it because it had been sitting for 23 years. Mm. And uh, we went out there and broke Fred's record with Fred's car and literally shattered it by 17 miles an hour in 2018. So that's sort of, I know it's a long, 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 long answer about how it all sort of came back together <laughs> with John Howard. Yeah, so for me, that the element is you got John Howard as the coach, the mentor, the idea generator, the one who got me into racing, the one who got me back on a bike after 20 years, and the one who formed this idea is so, so pivotal as far as the, the, being in this land speed record, but also Shay Holbrook, who was my race car driver, not only in 2016, but also in 2018. And if I didn't have her in 2018, again and i had a new race car driver i don't even know if i'd been able to do it because there's such a learning curve for the driver to be able to properly get me started mm -hmm. because at the very beginning i have to be towed because i have one gear and i can't go zero or two miles an hour and 180 some odd miles an hour in one gear that's just humanly impossible so i have to get pulled up to at minimum the 110 miles an hour which we accomplished at mile one and a quarter of this five mile long course and it's only mile marker four to five that gives me my record speed so from mile one and a quarter i'm released i'm able to push the gear myself we continue to increase in speed all the way up through the five miles and my average between mile marker four and five was 183.9 miles per hour, but I actually hit 188 in that mile. Oh my so. goodness. I, I can't even, I mean, I've watched the video several times. I've talked to you in real life, but it's hard to imagine you on a bicycle going that <laughs> fast. Like, I mean, I, I panic going down hills at like 35 miles an hour. So I just can't, like, can you give us some highlights of like what that feels like? <laughs> well, the thing is, is when you're in that moment, there is no thinking of anything else. Ah. Um, and one of the things I always talk about is I, 
I truly, I have ADHD. I embrace it. It's a beautiful thing. It, it used it if you utilize it for the for good and know where your limitations are. But but one of the things about that is within your life, your brain is going in so many different directions, thinking about so many different things, and aware of so many different elements of things that are going on around you. Mm-hmm. So it's a very crazy world um, with ADHD, and it's just my norm. But it's there, there are those super high concentration times to where you you are so in the moment, focused on solely one thing that you're the rest of your mind shuts down. That you, you, there is nothing else in there. And I my theory is adrenaline junkies like myself, I think, tend to be chasing what I call that nirvana of that singular focus mm. when literally there is nothing else in the world, in your mind, in your thoughts than the one thing you're doing. And since it happens so rarely, it's almost like a drug for me. And I think that's why I constantly chase that adrenaline junkie stuff mm-hmm. is because it's nirvana to be in that singular focus. And so when you're going 180 some odd miles an hour, you're not thinking about what your left foot feels like. You're not thinking about what you're going to have for dinner. You're not thinking about (laughs) what somebody's thinking about you. You're not thinking about any other noises you hear because you're so in survival mode, the world shuts down except for what you're doing. And one of the things that I've, uh, I've heard other people describe, I've never been in this situation, but many people that have described, let's say uh, if they've ever been in a car accident, um, a high speed car accident. And they said, Oh my gosh, all of a sudden, everything was in slow motion. Mm. That is perfect awareness. And that's what occurred when I was out there. I, I've often said, the faster I was going, the more, the slower everything was. Oh, and that's because that focus and concentration became so acute and so completely in the present moment. And it's in survivability that everything slows down. And it's very, very clear. And so that's why I call it Nirvana, because it was just a beautiful, special place. Even though I'm in a life and death situation, Mm -hmm. it was this peacefulness. So it's very difficult to describe, but I can only semi-describe it with people who have been in like car accidents who, like I said, everything went to slow motion. Mm -hmm. Yep. Full 100% concentration. Wow. So that's my biggest, biggest highlight of what when people ask what it feels like, it, it, it it's it's almost like going into another dimension. Mm-hmm. And um, but I also the further away I get from it, because this was two and a half years ago. Um, and you know, the more I get away from it and see it like a normal person, the more I think I'm nuts too. Because <laughs> people will go, Denise, you are crazy, and I went. Well, yeah, but crazy in a good way. And then I look and I go, Oh my gosh! I mean, I I had. Three, I have three children, and at the time, they were, you know, uh, 18, 24, and 25, or 23, and whatever, yeah, so, yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, so I'm sitting there, you know, my, my youngest was 18, he was 16 when I did it in 2016, and then he was 18, and he was out there at Bonneville for both of those. Wow. Um, he made sure he was there, and in fact, he was, there's a wonderful video um, on my Facebook page, which is Project Speed Denise. Um, if you go there and look at the videos, there's one of me, um, my son, videoing from his cell phone on Facebook Live, and it was him videoing picking me up after my record run. Mm. And so it's him listening to the radio announcers, him with some of the press in the vehicle. And what his job was is when I'm done, because after we hit five miles, it takes another two miles while I'm being slowed down by the by the um, dragster, and I'm literally butted up against the dragster, rubbing about a dime-sized, you know, contact between the dragster and my bump bar on my bicycle as she brings me back down to 110. We exited around 185. Mm. When she hits about 110 on that two miles to slow me down, basically 75 miles an hour, she ends up putting the accelerator down and as I say, birthed me out of the air pocket. Cause at 110, I can, I can get out of the air pocket, not a problem. And so when she does that, I then get off race course and my son has to be coming up on the safety road and we have to merge together before I fall over on my bicycle. Cause again, oh, yeah. once I go below 110, I can't pedal. I am literally just floating on that bicycle with my, my pedals moving, but there's no, 
input because I can't push that gear. And so he comes right up. He has the passenger side window down. And of course, you have Wall Street Journal and a few of the other press people in there. And my son's, you know, driving, picking me up and Facebook living me. (laughs) (laughs) And so I put my arm in the vehicle and he goes, Mom, you did it. You did it. And he somehow said like 186 or 189 or something miles an hour. I don't know what number he said because he was listening to the radio announcer. And he, because uh, they had live radio announcing. And I look at him and you can hear me go, what? Because <laughs> I have no idea what I did. I can't even look down at my my bicycle computer because literally taking my eyeball off of my focal point, which is the bump bar behind the vehicle, mm-hmm. and moving it down to my bicycle computer, which is just a, just a GPS speed. It's not official, but it would give me a pretty accurate speed. Mm-hmm. And then moving my eyeball back up, I literally would go an entire football field in distance. Oh so I can't, even, I can't even look down and look up. One 1,000. There's a football field that just went by, and I did that 19 seconds in a row. I did one mile in 19 seconds. I traversed a football field every second that went by in that last mile. That is so th- mind blowing. Yeah. I can't look, I can't even look and go, let me look over here and back. Right. A football field would go by. I could go down in a football field distance in one second. Wow. <laughs> so there was nothing but focal focused on this one. I had this duct tape that was checkered flag right in the center of the bump bar. And that was literally my my cue point, and I focused on nothing but that. It was the tunnel vision. Yeah. But but anyhow, this great video is my son, you know, telling me, and now he's an eighteen year old boy, and I thought, oh, that little shit. <laughs> Excuse me. Did I say that? He, I thought he is so pulling my leg because I I couldn't yeah. believe him. He's my eighteen year old son. He's a jokester. So I'm thinking. <laughs> He's telling me a joke because the number did not even, I mean, we weren't even going for that number. My goal was 170. I just wanted to properly beat 166.9, right? And I'm sitting there going, when he said 187, whatever number, it was it was a little over what the record was. But I was like, that's so ridiculous. I didn't believe him. Oh so we gosh. make a left turn, get to the timing station. And then, of course, then you see the rest of the video, which is me realizing, yes, I did get oh it. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> well, and all of this is happening while you are hover, you're on your bike, but your arm is in the car. So you're probably yep. still going at a fairly good speed. Right, about twenty miles an hour. Not nothing, nothing, nothing ridiculous. But yeah. still, to have all of that going on, you know, you're thinking about the speed. He's on his phone, like driving, like just all of it yeah. is just mind blowing. Well, the funniest thing, and I think all parents will understand this. <laughs> I just went 180 something miles an hour. And I'm sitting there holding on to the car and he's having to make like a left sort of half, almost a U, not a U-turn, but, you know, pretty substantial turn to get back to the timing station. And I, typical mom, careful, careful. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm giving him driving instructions at 20 miles an hour, <laughs> telling him to be careful while I just finished going 180, right? Oh, my gosh. <laughs> oh, it, it's a typical mom moment there. That's for sure. But, you know, it made it amazingly special to have um, one of my sons who was the only one that was capable of getting out. I have three, yeah. three boys, but the other two, you know, college and the other one was in South Dakota. And so it was just not not reasonable for the other two to come out. But yeah. to be able to have my son, son out there and be such a pivotal position within the whole speed record too. Oh man. And I am curious, um, you know, you don't have to get super into detail, but the whole, you know, you described it as the dance between you and your driver as Mm -hmm. you're getting up to the speed where you release, what's it called? The, the The tether tether. (laughs) Thank you. Uh, Uh When you get to the point where you release the tether, are you communicating somehow with your driver, whether it's, well, I guess you probably can't do hand motions because you can't lift your hands up. So how are yeah. you getting to the point where, or is it just you guys have a great Jedi mind trick at this point where you just know each other? Great question. And one, she had learned to read my body language because the mm. only form of communication that we had, because we we tried audio, radio and it just would not work for us um, because of the, the time that we needed to have that open mic and we just couldn't find the equipment that was going to work properly for us. Mm-hmm. So I had no audio from her and she had no audio to her. So there's no audio communication. 
she did have two cameras that she had video screens mounted in the cockpit that mm -hmm. she could see me. So she was able to observe me. But again, there is no suspension in this dragster. So it is just, you know, vibrating along. So she's having to focus on this vibrating little monitor in there to see me. So she would be able to see if I were nodding or if I were um, shaking my head. Mm. She also learned to read me from a, as a cyclist. You can look at another cyclist and you could know they're hammering or they're relaxed. Mm -hmm. It a lot of times has to do with how, you know, if they're really hunkered down, they're pushing hard and their chest comes up and they're sitting a little more straight up, it's a little easier. So she learned my own body signals to know where I was at as far as pushing hard or relaxed situation. And so the only way I got communication from her was there was five lights on the back in the fairing and um we had it's a five mile course but i would need to know when are we done because oh, sure. i can't yeah. look to see the flags out of my periphery because i am so focused on a little you know probably you know a uh, three inch diameter circle is my focal point um right in front of me and so these lights I would be able to see in my periphery because they're pretty much right in front of my face. Mm -hmm. So she would put one mile, two mile, three mile, four mile. And then the last light was our five mile and it meant we're done. And so um, that's the only way she communicated with me. However, we also had sort of an abort signal. Um, so she would flash that five miles if for any reason we were bef way before the five mile and something went wrong because oh, okay. she needed to be able to communicate that. But um that tether time is probably the scariest time for her because if you think about it, I've made my choice to be in the back of that, behind that dragster. I made my choice to put my life on the line and the actions I do affect me mm -hmm. and nobody else. Shea Holbrook is driving that vehicle with my life in her hands. Because yeah, yeah. if she makes a mistake, it's not her, it's me that's gonna suffer. And me that could possibly die. I mean, I mean, if you want to take it to the extreme. Mm -hmm. And so one of the things that dance that we had to figure out and why it was so important for me to have her both times in 2016 and in 2018 is because she had to, for lack of better words, yank me up to speed as quickly as possible because if she did it too slow, I, my bike can fall over because mm. it, it's like when you go downhill, you know how people say, oh, go down when you go down, let's say a mountain bike trail. If you try and crawl down a mountain bike trail, you're going to fall over all the time. Mm -hmm. Speed is actually your friend. It keeps you upright. So you have to have enough of speed to keep yourself upright, to give you that ability to stay upright. Otherwise, you fall over. Same with pulling off from the start line. We get the, we get the uh, tether nice and taut. So there's no gap or there's no, um, it's basically nice and tight. Mm -hmm. So I'm, I'm at the extreme of the tether. So when she starts out, she has to start out, but then all of a sudden gain speed very quickly. And like I said, within a mile and a quarter, she had me up to at least 110 miles an hour wow. in a mile and a quarter, pulling me with one tether. And this tether is connected to a hook that I release. So it's not holding me upright. So if she went too fast, she's going to yank that bicycle right out from under me. Mm. She goes too slow. I can't keep upright. I fall over. She's now dragging me because mm -hmm. I'm clipped into my pedals, you know, um, and it would take her a little bit to stop um, if she was dragging me. So we had to get that perfect balance to where she took off as fast as possible without pulling that bike out from under me. And so uh, one of the beautiful things was she is a national champion uh, water skier. Mm. And if you think about it, she's basically the boat driver and I'm the water skier in this situation on the bike. And so her having that knowledge on top of being the race car driver is was so important because she knew exactly how to find that perfect balance of pulling me up to speed as quickly as possible and as safely as possible. But that took a long time for her to figure out because she didn't really want to pull me that hard. Right. <laughs> and I kept telling her, no, you got to go faster. Next time, take off faster. And so literally, 
the first few runs back in 2016, it was figuring out that balance of how fast she can yank me, for lack of better words, up to speed. So that's just that beautiful dance of understanding. But to, to summarize it is she truly learned to read me. And we were, for, I mean, she, we were in each other's head. You know, mm -hmm. I had complete trust in what she did because my record was because of how fast she drove that car. Mm -hmm. And technically, she drove it faster than she was technically allowed to. Um, that vehicle was safety standard. Uh, stand, it was safety inspected for 175 miles an hour. Oh, wow. And we were not supposed to go over 175. And so um, she actually violated the rules. <laughs> and we're lucky they did not pull my record from me um, because uh, she went way over 175. Yeah. But, uh, and that's all we needed to do. So we felt fine. I mean, I was looking for 170. 175 gave us an extra five miles an hour. Either way, we would have broken the record. But instead, she knew I could do it because she took a huge risk by literally flooring flooring that dragster mm -hmm. and watched me and knew I could do it. But if she didn't feel I could do it, I mean, it was all in her hands. We didn't, we didn't start that, that run ahead of time going, Hey, let's, let's blow the doors off. Let's right. see how fast we can go. That was a hundred percent her decision. So my records, because she put that accelerator down and I was able to stay in there, but wow. she knew that based on watching me. So again, my life, in her hands because if things were to have gone wrong and she made that decision she'd be living with that the rest of her life yeah so yeah. we were so in in sync with each other it was unreal that is amazing and um the terrain you know i know it's called the salt flats but is it mm -hmm. like literally does it feel like pavement does it feel like sand like what are you what is the terrain yeah, so it is um, perfectly flat because mm -hmm. um, it is a dried lake bed. It gets wet during this, the winter and then dries out. And much like an ice skating rink, an ice skating rink is not going to be hilly. So perfectly flat, but the surface is granular. Oh, okay. Um, I would liken it to sort of a an asphalt road with a little bit of surface grit, mm, okay. you know, a little bit of teeny marbles on it. Not, not high marbles, but you know, it's, it's granular. Mm -hmm. Like um, it's like rock salt in a way. And now they do drag it. So this particular, the, the actual course you're on, they drag it to make it as smooth as possible to eliminate some of that, that grit mm -hmm. of the, of this, of the uh, salt on the surface but they can't get rid of it all. But if you were to go down, <laughs> which I never did, thank God, I've always programmed my mind to say, I'm just going to slide along because with the granular top, it's almost like a bunch of little marbles. Mm. Yep, it's gonna be really rough, but it would sort of, um, you know, float you along. <laughs> um, I don't know at what time, what point it would go through my leather suit because I was wearing a seven and a half pound leather suit uh, for protection in a motorcycle helmet. Mm -hmm. um, but still, um, I, I, in my mind, I had to think about how to answer the question when people would ask me what would happen if I went down, because I didn't want to put any negativity into my mind or, right. or um, cr the word crash or, you know, breaking bones, none of that. Even though Fred Rompelberg did crash and broke like 13 bones right after John's record when he tried to beat John Howard, and it took him another seven years to come back to financially and physically recover mm -hmm. to break John's record. So I, I know what the what could happen out there. Yeah, yeah. And um, I embraced it with, ah, that's right. I go down. I'm just going to go ahead and slide like all those motorcyclists you see on those YouTube videos where yeah. they go down and yeah. they just go sliding on their back and then they get up at the end. That's what I told myself. So. Wow. I'm, that's, <laughs> that's awesome that you never had to experience or had to worry about it. Yes. So do you know if anyone has been out there trying to break your world record? Um, I am unaware of anybody who's physically gone out to Bonneville, mm -hmm. but of course we had 2020, there was no Bonneville. Sure. Um, I did my record in 2018 and I think sort of woke a sleeping giant. Um, my 2016 women's record was sort of, sort of quiet, but when I broke the overall record, lots of people sort of sparked a little, mm -hmm. hmm, 
I could do that. And there's a lot of people who can think like that, but it's a very, very expensive process. Mm -hmm. I have been made aware of five men from five different countries, none of them in the United States, that are looking at breaking the record. Some very much out there with their Facebook pages saying they're going for the world record and keeping updated on everything. And others that are on the QT where I've sort of been made aware of them, but mm -hmm. it's not publicly um, made, a, not pub publicly out there yet. Um, but I've not heard any reality of dates being set mm -hmm. or entries into the event coming up in September, which would be the place to do it. It would be Bonneville. Um, there are very, very few places in the world like Bonneville where you could accomplish this. Um, so I know they're going to be out there. And that's why I, I joke with people because a lot of times, you know, oh, this is the fastest woman in the world. And it's so funny because I'm going to own this while I can. I said, no, no, no. I may be the fastest woman out there, but I am the fastest human. And I'm going to embrace that as many years as I can have that because I do know there are several men that are going going after it, and it will probably get broken. I don't know by how much. I doubt 17 miles an hour, right. but you never know. Um, but, you know, it, it, and then I'll be the fastest woman in the world. So I'm owning the human right now because <laughs> it is a really cool feat. And, I, and what's really neat is even though Guinness World Book Records separated men's and women's, and technically, according to the record books, I beat my own women's record, if mm -hmm. you really want to look at it. What's really cool is when they sent me my other Guinness World Book certificate, I'm actually looking at it right now um, on the wall. It says the fastest bicycle speed in slipstream. Wow. And it doesn't say woman. So I have the, I have the one certificate over here that says uh, female, and, the other, and then this one over here is just overall which is really cool even though it's in the record book as a women's <laughs> but uh yeah so it, it, i i definitely um i'm going to enjoy that for as long as i have that <laughs> oh yeah well you you need to enjoy it forever because it is one heck of a goal and one heck of an accomplishment for sure oh thank you yeah and i guess you know listeners who have not watched the video if you just go i know one website is theprojectspeed.com, but do you have other resources that people can go to? You know what? Some of the easiest ways is to Google because mm -hmm. um, there are so many different interviews that I've done. I know Wall Street Journal did an amazing video mm. um, that's about like a little mini documentary, about 20 minutes long. And then I know the great big story um, had done like a 16 minute documentary wired magazine did one so there's a lot of different um and then there's one that we had done with with our own videographers so a number of those are are there if you just google project speed denise mm -hmm. or bicycle denise or fastest bicycle denise or something along those lines they'll definitely pop up um i do i'm pretty active on my facebook page mm -hmm. um, which does link to my instagram and so the the handle for that is at FireCycle, F-I-R-E-C-Y-C-L-E. So if you look on Facebook and Instagram, you'll be able to see um, a lot of the more or less what I'm doing today, too. <laughs> right, right. Awesome. Well, Denise, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and sharing your story. And I feel like I'm probably going to hang up with you and watch the video one more time because it's just like, oh. talk about adrenaline. <laughs> Oh my gosh! Well, thank you. And it was funny. Some of the some of the gentlemen that I met um, from Primal, they came from Denver. Mm -hmm. I hadn't met them before, and and we hung out all together for that week, which was just awesome. I feel like again, extension of my family. Again, um, got a text message from one of them, and he says, "I just watched the video, and I think I got a tear in my eye knowing you and <laughs> having watched the video because <laughs> oh. it's a different reference point when you hear a lot more of." Uh, the behind the scenes, I guess you'd say. Oh, for on sure, it. yeah. And then you rewatch it again, and it sort of puts it in a whole different perspective, given the extra information. So. Yeah. Okay. Last question: When you watch the video of yourself, do you actually like acknowledge that that's you? Like, do you look at that and go, "Hey, that's me right there," or do you go, "Holy crap"? <laughs> probably the holy crap because <laughs> I know it's me I know that's what I did yeah. but I still my heart will race because I know some of the moments coming up when I have to like jet my knee out <sighs> because the buffeting of the wind left to right gets so intense yeah. the faster I go 
it feels like I'm being literally like, I'm, like the wind is trying to act as I'm a ping pong left to right. Mm. And so the bicycle handling skills and I, even when I see it, I know I survived it because I'm here watching the That's video, right. but I see the spot where I end up having, you know, I'm coming over to the left and I have to jut my right knee out to center myself again. And it still catches me every time, but how close that was. Wow. Absolutely. How close that was. And it's just, so it, it, it's a lot of respect because yeah. <laughs> I look there and go, Ooh, wow. wow. Yep. And I, and to answer one question that hasn't been asked, no, I'm not going to go out there again. I have <laughs> nothing more to prove. Even if somebody breaks it, I have, I, I've had enough little taps from God on the shoulder going, I kept you upright. Yeah. You did this twice. Don't do it again. So I, I, I heard the message loud and clear. So I be done. Oh, that's <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you so much, Denise. Oh, you bet. Thank you. Well, listeners, that's it for this week. We both want to thank you for tuning in to listen to the Just Go Bike podcast. And if you'd like to contact us with a comment about the podcast, or maybe you have a topic in mind, you can reach us at justgobikepodcast at gmail.com. You can also follow us on social media at Just Go Bike. Please rate, review, and subscribe to this podcast, especially if you're a fan. And if you have extra time, pop on over to the Morphology Podcast for more bike adventure interviews. Okay, that's a wrap. We'll be back next week. Until then, just just go bike! bike!